The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Breaking a Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson. Here, as he's back purportedly from the Mexican League scouting the next Kenny Powers, is T.C. Zenka. T.C., how are you? <laughs> I'm so good. It feels good to be back. But, you know, I tell you what, leaving baseball behind for a week, it's amazing how much you miss. It's just amazing. Like, I, I didn't bring my computer. I wanted to be off screens. I was gone for five days. And it's just, it feels like I haven't watched baseball all season. There's like, it's like a whole new world. <laughs> Uh, the Aladdin song just popped into my head for a whole new <laughs> world. Uh, and you're right. A lot has happened. I was actually thinking that as we were prepping some of this uh, earlier this week that, like, holy crap, this might be the most that's happened all season so far in a single week. And, like, yeah, like you're saying, you, you leave for five days and it feels like you've been gone for uh, years or decades or something. Um, I think that's a really good jumping in point to years and decades and what year and decade it is in baseball because... <laughs> Uh, this week's big idea is surrounded on Tony La Russa. Tony and La Russa. his response to his own hitter hitting a home run. Uh, this is, of course, the Yermin Mercedes, uh, as I saw it so wonderfully, of non-traversy. And uh, before, we, before we set the stage here, TC, you see this uh, come up on your highlights, and you see La Russa's initial comments. What are your immediate reactions to this? This uh, escapade, let's say. It's ridiculous. It's super silly. I don't understand why Tony LaRusso feels like he really has to call out his guy. It doesn't. I mean, we talk about, you know, talk about code of conduct or like unwritten rules. Isn't that one of them? You don't call out your, your guy in public? It is. And there's a lot that we could dig into this. So, again, let's let's set the scene before we really try to find all the ways, all the, all the loose threads that could be pulled here in context. Uh, So it's the ninth inning of a White Sox-Twins game. The White Sox are up 15-4. to And the Twins opt for five actual MLB pitchers to stay on the bench in the bullpen, wherever they are. And instead, call in Williams Astudio Fokiro to pitch. He is not a pitcher. He's a position player. And even that may be a loose description of (laughs) his skills. Yeah, so he's throwing sub-50 mile per hour rainbows over the plate. He gets to a 3-0 count to your mean Mercedes, who crushes one out for a homer. It was a 47-mile-an-hour pitch that he sent out over the center field fence at 109 miles an hour over 400 feet. Uh, so, 
given that it was purportedly poor form, uh, LaRusso was asked after the game. He talked about respect, about unwritten rules, uh, about uh, having having respect for your opponents, and that there would be in-house penalties through the clubhouse, uh, in the family, as LaRusso called it. And th- there are so many layers to this. And you're saying it seems silly to you. If we're going to talk about layers, what would be the first one you peel back with this situation? For me, it's that first and foremost, it was a really entertaining swing. <laughs> like bare bones, one of the one of the best at bats I've seen all season. Super fun to see both Williams has to deal pitching. It's kind of silly, but to throw that that softball toss up there and see Mercedes just hit the living daylights out of it was was insane. It was one of the you know better things I've seen on a baseball field in a while because you really see his strength. Like you know, you see a guy turn around 100 miles an hour, 100 mile an hour fastball, and it's incredible. But there's a lot of force coming from the from the heater there. This is all Mercedes, and it was a remarkable swing. And you know, for me, I want to see that kind of thing in a game, even in a 15 to four game, because we're still watching it, or we're supposed to still be watching it. Baseball would like us to still be watching it. Yeah, I, the watchability aspect of it is is huge. I think right because. For as much as you might respect your opponent by not showing them up, like one, it was already 15-4, and two, the Twins said they weren't trying to win anymore. They were like, we're just going to rest our guys. We're going to try to beat you the next time out. And uh, so here's here's Astudio. Uh, let's just, you know, get this over as quickly as we can. You know what I mean? Right. So I do think that there's, there's, the, there's the Twins part of it, and then there's the Tony La Russa part of it. And they're okay. kind of they're very much related, but they're also they're also kind of separate, right? So the twins part of it being that they put out a position player in this in this loss to a division rival so that they could rest their guys, so that they could be better prepared to beat them the next day. They gave up on the game. I mean, yeah, talk about respect for your opponent. They basically, you know, gave up this game. And then the next day. You know, after Mercedes hit the homer, they threw behind him. You know, when they were up four to two. Yeah, definitely so did that late in the game, right? Right. So there's, you know, that's a huge part of this. The Twins obviously took exception, or at least Duffy took exception. And I think that there's two conversations to have with as far as this part of it. There's the Twins' reaction to this particular thing, and then there's kind of the macro. How do we feel about this kind of thing on the whole? And we, you know, we could touch on either the the internal politics of the moment itself of, of Mercedes swinging or of the the throw behind as well because that's a big part of baseball that people have you know tried to get rid of for a while now but it you know persists at least in small amounts here so that's kind of the twins the the twins angle right did I did I miss anything on that front no I don't think you I think you got it all and I think it's really critical before we even peel back some of the stuff on the White Sox angle and particularly the the La Russa angle and the clubhouse angle with them to talk about how the Twins were okay with throwing at Astudio the next night. It's like, that's that's what really frustrates me because some people are arguing, well, like, oh, La Russa's, he's, he's out of pocket with these, uh, uh, these he might have been out of pocket with how he handled it, but, you know, really, th- he's not the only one who cared about the unwritten rules because the Twins apparently cared too because Duffy threw behind Astudio. Uh, Rocco Baldelli probably behind told Mercedes. him to at some point. Uh, yeah, that's sorry. 
through behind Mercedes. I'm, I'm mixing up my twins now. <laughs> and my and my large, uh, well-suited hitters. Uh, you know, if the twins were so angry about it, maybe don't throw out a position player to pitch. Like I, that's on your manager. That's not on the White Sox. And even even beyond that, like. There, there is a line uh, that Kyle Bodie, who is the pitching director for the Reds, says uh, in these kinds of situations that if you don't want to be shown up, be better. You don't want somebody to be to, to take your spot, be better. Yeah. And I think that there is a limit to that kind of phrase and that kind of applic- uh, applicability. But Minnesota Twins, you are like one of the worst teams in baseball right now. You can't afford to just give up, give up games and mail it in. You don't want somebody to show you up, quote unquote, show you up by hitting a home run. Be better. Don't throw out uh, Williams Astudio. Like, so that much that that aspect of it really frustrates me. Not ah, I did it again, Astudio. It's not uh, you threw out Astudio. Don't be angry at Mercedes for hitting a home run. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, and I think it's that's so right, and it's so it is so frustrating because like you know if you throw a pitch, a hitter's allowed to swing. Like full stop. That's the whole. That's the whole deal. Guys have swung at intentional walk pitches before and hit them back when we used yeah. to still throw those. But I mean, yeah. so to think that like he's supposed to stand up there and that as to you float another one. I mean, the, the twins are basically saying by putting as to out there, both of their giving up and then they want this game to end as soon as possible. So, you know, time to swing the bat. He finally, he finally gave him a strike. So he swung at it. Why not? Yeah. Why not is right. The twins we're 14 and what, 26 at that point? They're 14 and 27 now. It is the worst record in the American League. It is the worst record behind even the Colorado Rockies, the forlorn Colorado Rockies we've dug into before. They are the worst team in baseball, and you're giving up games. And then you're going to have the audacity to be angry at somebody swinging at a pitch that's over the plate. And right. frankly, you're talking about how awesome it was. That was awesome. It's really hard to take a pitch that's 47 miles an hour and launch it out at 109 over a dead bomb. center. Just a bomb. Just insane. Yeah. And there is a caveat here when it comes to Mercedes swinging. He did apparently get the signal to not swing, right? He, he was told not to swing. Yeah, he got the he take sign, I guess. Right. Which is an issue. But is it an issue enough to air him out like that and then double and triple down if you're Tony La Russa? Yeah, I mean, if anything, why are you dictating this? Like, if this is an unwritten rule, then you don't need to offer a take sign, right? And if you don't need, and you ought to let your your kids play. It's a fifteen to four game. Like they're they're up. Why are you still? I mean, they're still managing, right? If they're giving the take sign, then the White Sox are still managing this game and still dictating the terms. And so they haven't given up. Larusa didn't give up. He didn't stop managing. So why should the why should Mercedes give up and stop swinging? Yeah, he should. If he gets a take sign, he should probably take. But to your point, I think you said it exactly right. Like he's, it's, it's not worth airing your dirty laundry in public like this. And the Twins just, the Twins don't get to set the terms. Just because they give up on a game doesn't mean the White Sox have to. You know, Mercedes gets paid for how well he does in games. If someone's going to float him one, then he should mash the heck out of it, as he did. I think it's a great way to phrase it. What you just said is that the twins don't get to set the terms. If you want to be a loser, a willing loser and give up the game, why are you going to be angry at somebody for continuing to compete? And so, so let me run this by you. One of the big angles here is the um, part of the unwritten rule is respecting your opponents, not showing them up, not 
rubbing their face in it. Do you think it's it's more disrespectful, TC, to ease up on your opponent or to keep playing as though they could come back? The White Sox, I mean, I don't know that it's as simple as like the White Sox were doing this. Like, in a, like I, I can't speak to this particular situation, I, I guess is what I want to say. Like in a vacuum, it's more respectful to keep playing hard. Like, yes, if you can say earnestly as a team, like, hey, we think they could come back here. We give them all the respect in the world. Like we keep playing hard. That makes more sense to me than just like, we're going to stop trying here. And and at what point is even like swinging the bat, not trying, not trying. I mean, what is he supposed to do exactly <laughs> to give this game up? Like there are only so many things you can do. He literally took three pitches in a row and he was in a three Oh count. Like it makes the twins look really petty and it makes them, it does make them look like losers. I, I don't like to use that term necessarily, but it makes them look like losers. And, and if you're going to act that way, then people are going to treat you that way. And that's what Mercedes did. He just, he swung the bat. I mean, you can't fault the guy. I just don't understand how you can fault the guy for swinging the bat in a baseball game as a hitter. <laughs> I, I think that's a fair point too, as uh, Oh my goodness. Uh, oh, Jake Cronenworth almost nearly hit a homer. It yeah. I watched that game too. <laughs> uh, so, all right. But, but back to the, the matter at hand, very confusing situation. Oh, it was inside the Parker. Oh goodness, it was. I knew it took a big hop oh, off the fence. But Cronenworth kept going. It uh, doesn't need to hit it out. Home yeah. run, Jake Cronenworth. He's an exciting player. If somebody wants a guy who's, who's low key, really, really impressive, and has been really critical for their team this year. He's helping the Padres float right now with with the injuries they've had. He's making the Rockies look bad, though. He should have stopped at third, I think. Not really fair to show him up like that. After after Charlie Blackman missed the ball, it bounced away. He looks like an idiot now. And Cronenworth oh, yeah. just goes all the way and scores. I mean, come on. Who's, who really hits inside the park home runs? Not yeah, cool. That's, that's true. Really embarrassing stuff. Yeah, I mean, Blackman, it looked like it just walked right by him. Why not take the mercy on him? Uh, yeah, everybody needs to see this play because Cronenworth just did not stop. He just he was like, "Oh wait, I can I can make it home." <laughs> he looked, he looked, he hit third, and he was like, "Wait, it's still happening." <laughs> good on him. Uh, yeah, good on him. And the the Padres are up two nothing, so I guess uh, people won't take an issue with it. Uh, but taking in regards to taking an issue with it and having uh, people have also said, you know, while the the Twins, you know, they clearly took an issue with it. So the unwritten rules aren't just La Russa. It's not just him being old and out of touch. It's this is a real thing. It's like, yeah, and that's kind of the problem. The issue really is much more complex than it seems because there are a lot of different parts of this. There's like, there is the, the Williams Estadio portion of this where the twins throw a position player and how we feel about this in general. It's, it's typically pretty fun to see a position player pitch. I mean, there's been a lot of fun instances of this in the past, including Estadio, but teams are starting to do this in a much more strategic way just to save their bullpen some some wear and tear. I mean, we're seeing a lot of position players get some work on the mound. And I'm not sure how that, like, is that disrespectful to pitch a position player? Or is it just, you know, look bad for your team because you're essentially throwing in the towel? That if you're going to be strategic with it, it does take the novelty out of it. And when you take the novelty out of a really kind of fun moment, like we're not tuning in at that point to watch Ostudio pitch. We're like, oh, like they have relievers. They they just didn't want to burn a guy because they think they'll be competitive more next time out. Like, it's a very confusing thing to me. I think in this context, it's it almost dampens 
the potential for fun to see Astudio pitch in a situation where normally it, it before recent the last couple of years you'd only ever see it when teams were really up against it they had you know a bad week or, or an unexpected bull came, bullpen game or a weird double header that went super long and everybody spent so is it less fun for you to see Astro do you come in and pitch then like you're saying if it's if it's a strategic thing more so than a like hey this is this is a good time it's maybe a little bit less fun i mean especially once you see Astadio in particular pitch, you know, a bunch of times, it's maybe less interesting, but I don't think it loses a ton of its effect. I still find it like, I still think I find it more entertaining than seeing him hit against, you know, Caleb Thielbar in a, in a blowout game or something, because at least there's something a little bit different about it. Seeing the challenge is a little bit interesting. Seeing how the, how the batters kind of react to Astadio on the mound is fun. And frankly, I kind of like this strategy part of it. I like when the game evolves strategically. And I think it's, I think it's cool that teams are, have started to use this, you know, knowing that they have roster limits, they've started to use this, this, you know, little loophole to their advantage. I mean, Hernan Perez had two appearances on the mound in like 10 games for the, for the Nats before he got DFA'd. And it's interesting. What I don't think is cool is, and I kind of wonder about is, you know, why, why wasn't Hernan Perez and not, Soto, right? You're not going to pitch Juan Soto. Right. So, you know, the Cubs have done it with Rizzo a couple of times, but it's kind of a very particular circumstance. And even then they've said they didn't really didn't want to do it with him. So, you know, the guys that we see pitch are kind of end of the bench guys. So are you putting these guys at risk? Is there, is there a risk element to, to this? I mean, I, I'm not sure. It's definitely doing something different. I, I mean, I feel like you athletes ought to be able to handle pitching an inning, but but I'm not sure. See, it's it, it's interesting to me that you find that still a little bit more entertaining, that you appreciate the strategy of it. I don't know that I do at this moment in time because it makes me think of something that Lance and I talked about last week and that we've hit on for sure in the past, that there is a certain efficiency in baseball that is really not aesthetically pleasing at this point. And while I'm for kind of chaos and things that bring that on, I'm for teams embracing smart strategies to me, like you're saying, well, we don't really value Williams Astudio. We know, um, you know, the, the Juan Soto type isn't going to come in and do this for us and that it would be really dumb and dangerous and we would take so much crap, rightfully so, if we did that kind of thing to our star player. Right, we're just we're willing to w- risk it. Not that we don't value him at all, but like we're willing to risk him in this situation. And if something happens, you know, we'll, we'll be okay with it. We'll be okay with the blowback. Yeah, we'll we'll find another body, and uh, you know we'll we'll make sure that we take care of the the guy who gets hurt. Not a body like his. <laughs> Not we a are pressed like to find another, find another body like that. No, there there are few and far between, and that's why we love Alejandro Kirk around these parts. And uh, <laughs> you know, the other thing I'll say though is just about it losing its novelty effect is that also like for baseball people and for like obsessives like us, like it does. But I still think that there's the casual fan to consider. And I feel, and I don't think that you know lots of fans are watching 40 games a season. So if they see it's still relatively interesting and new, I think to a lot of fans who do, who do see it, even if it's happening more often, it's still pretty rare. I think for like, for the, the larger populace. I think that's actually a a fun take that the average fan or the, the new fan might really appreciate it. And uh, I guess that that speaks, you know, you, you always have to kind of check your perspective in these situations and that, 
like you and I, like you're saying, people who love this, this stuff, who watch a ton of games all the time, maybe the novelty is worn off because we have seen it, but for somebody new, if it draws them in and they're like, oh man, like I'm just going to watch every chance I get because maybe Astudio gets put in again to, to throw an inning. I think that would be great. I think that's also... See, here's the thing. I touched on this a minute ago that it was an absolute bomb. You've said that. It was a moonshot. And it's really hard, just speaking like the physics of it, to turn a pitch that's 47 miles an hour and put it out that far and to to send it off the bat at 109. There is something that um, is just... We're, we're not talking about the fun part again, right? We're talking about baseball not quite knowing what it expects, who it expects it of, when it expects it of them. And it's it's just, it reminds me so much of the Castellano suspension earlier this year where it's like that was an incredible moment, would have been super marketable. Instead, we got a weird suspension and... Now we don't think about it at all. And and it wasn't turned to anything but maybe a couple t-shirts locally in Cincinnati. And I feel like that's going to be the same thing. We're talking about Tony La Russa again instead of 28-year-old rookie sensation Yermin Mercedes hitting an absolute tank and demonstrating that he's legitimately one of the sharpest hitters in baseball this year. Yeah, I mean, he has a 178 WRC+. He's essentially Nelson Cruz now, which is just absurd for a guy like him. I mean, Tony Lucas says like, Oh, he's a rookie. So he's going to learn. He's the 28 year old rookie. He's not exactly like a young pup who doesn't, who's never seen baseball before. And I do think that there's like these unwritten rules. The discussion about them is boring. It's boring (laughs) to me. And that's the thing that kills me about it. Just like, God, we talk about this every time something happens and it's just like, I don't know. It's just so boring to me. I don't care about litigating whether or not you mean Mercedes should swing the bat. He should swing the bat. I mean, even the throwing at Mercedes, I kind of like it. I know that it's like that there's a danger aspect and that that's not like the PC thing, the, the PC opinion to have, but it's such a, such a part of baseball. And it's like one of the only kind of like real ingrained, like tough parts of baseball, like, that there's something about it that I still kind of, that I still kind of appreciate that there is, this is the way that, that things are checked. And if that's the case, then again, why is Tony LaRusso talking? Like you let the players handle their own business, right? Like, isn't that the old school way to do it? It is. And that's why it's like really uncomfortable. I think that he almost advocated for Mercedes to be thrown at, right? Like he said it after the game, he kind of wouldn't mind if it happened, like he would understand it. Uh, he said it after Mercedes was thrown at, like, well, that's that's what happens. That you know, you, what do you expect? Um, and you know, like like you're saying, it, you can kind of embrace this from a baseball standpoint in terms of the game policing itself. Uh, it's not something I necessarily care for, but at this point, it probably happened in the safest confines possible, right? Um, you know, he. It was a slider that came in around like Mercedes' butt. It wasn't a yeah. fastball up and in near his face. So it's, you know, maybe it would have left a bruise if it hit him. Maybe it was not intended to hit him, but to send the message, and then it did. Uh, but like you're saying, like to, to litigate these unwritten rules because, like, you know, uh, was it Rogers or Duffy? I'm so sorry. I'm getting them confused. Duffy. Duffy. That's what I Duffy thought. Duffy threw okay. it. Yeah. 
And so Duffy gets tossed. Uh, Baldelli gets tossed. And it's late in the game anyway. So, like, I just, I don't know who gained anything out of trying to litigate these rules. Like, even Duffy being the safest one to throw, probably, he throws, like, yeah. 92. And his his slider comes in, It's well, it's it's at, like, 84. So, it's not, like... A ninety. It's not like the Jose Alvarado fastball up and in. He doesn't know where right. it's going, right? Right, and it wasn't a beanball. That's the thing. That's, that's why it's always been called. You throw behind somebody, right? You're sending a message. You're not actually hitting him. You're throwing behind him, which is a frightening moment, but also like relatively, relatively safe in the grand scheme of things. And again, th- like this is where how the game has been litigated. And th- what I like about it is that it does it raises the tension, right? It raises the dramatic tension of the moment and of the series between these two teams because now. Now the White Sox know the Twins took exception of this. So if by some random miracle the Twins happen to win a game by a large margin against the, against the White Sox or against anybody really, the White Sox are going to be watching the Twins to see how they handle it, to see if there's any, you know, if they just lay down and stop swinging. And I think that in baseball, you know, we need we want more tension. We need more tension. There's not enough of it in the in the day to day game. So the more we can we can raise those stakes the more i like it i think the tension aspect is a good point i wonder how much tension can exist between two teams who have uh kind of like basically the the grand canyon between them in terms of standings for this early in the year the twins are 11 and a half games back maybe yeah, it man, helps. what happened i don't know what happened i feel like that could be an episode in and of itself at some point this year if it continues because it's just been kind of a mess everywhere. Even even their hitters who were doing really well have cooled off. And, it, you know, the pitching has stayed a mess. And it, they are a mess. So I don't know if this is... Like, I would love to be able to talk about this in a couple of weeks as a watershed moment for the Minnesota Twins, but I'm not sure that we quite get there. And as we talk about litigating these unwritten rules, you know, there, there are moments or aspects to this that really matter to particular people. You know, I want to get into the clubhouse stuff in a minute, but just to acknowledge the legitimate financial implications of this is that home runs matter for players, right? And they matter for a guy like Mercedes who broke in so late, who by the time he's free agent eligible, pending the new CBA next year, I guess, or whenever it gets agreed upon, he, he might be totally useless by the time he's a free agent. He would have to be 34, 35 years old. Yeah, he may never get his his big payday. I mean, he won't be arbitration eligible right now until after his age 31 season. Yeah. At which point, you know, is it DH like him? Is he going to be paid? Like Those guys have been DFA'd routinely. Routinely. All the crones. And they've, they've valued, they've been valued less and less each season by teams across the league, even in the AL, where they can embrace the DH. Because you cut the player pool down in half and, and you don't have as many teams able to do it. Again, maybe that's something else that changes. Maybe more opportunities will open up for a hitter like Mercedes if he can keep it up. And he's, you know, even if he's a liability in the field and he, he is still such an asset at the plate, maybe it matters to more teams. But right now, it, it isn't an option. He's nowhere near that point in his career. And even when he gets to ARB, like, like say this is the difference between 29 and 30 homers for him this year. It's nobody's going to care if he's a 29 homer hitter, but if you can say he's a 30 homer hitter, that's a big deal. That's part of the payday. And specifically, Alex Chamberlain and, and Sean Dolinar dug into this at Fangraphs a few years ago and found that a homer could be worth up to 45 or 
in arbitration. It's like, are you that's kidding huge. me? That's huge. That's huge. Mercedes signed for $20,000. So you're going to give him 45,000. You're going to give him more than twice as much just because of one homer. And you're going to, you're going to be angry at the guy in such a way that you like shame him numerous times publicly. Yeah. It's the, the whole thing is just very surprising. I mean, a few Mercedes, the only, unless you really are like a late flourishing guy who's going to play into his late thirties. If he is, if, if he does turn to Nelson Cruz, you know, then he'll have some money to make. Sure. But otherwise, you know, if he's, he might be looking to do to sign like a Randy Dobnak type deals just as a way to get a little bit of extra money. Right. If he can get $1 million for next year, or for the year after that, in order to give up some of his team control and the white Sox get a guy who, you know, maybe ends with a 150 WRC plus or something like that at a cheap rate. Like that's something that, could make sense and it only makes sense if you have the numbers to back it up and so i think mercedes like yeah he has to push the point at every single chance that he can and i don't know why you'd want a guy like that who's grinded for as long as he has to now like lay down the bat and be like and just let it go it just i wouldn't think that that's the mentality you want for your players i wouldn't think that that would be tony russ's mentality but it seems to be that in this particular case he cares more about you know that silly little you know unwritten rule yeah and to care about that more than a guy who's legitimately helped put your team in first place is very very frustrating like are the white Sox in first place if they don't have him in the lineup maybe maybe they maybe they're like a game over the over cleveland right now right they're cleveland's three games back but mercedes has been incredible he's already been i mean we it's tough to cite war especially earlier in the season, but it does give you a sense of the value a guy has accrued quickly, right? As kind of a crude, easy, fast picture. He's already been worth 1.3 F4. <laughs> and, you know, you take a win away and you give it to Cleveland in a series or any other divisional team. And it's a much tighter looking picture right now. And so we've talked about even a couple of weeks ago asking if the White Sox problems are exactly what, what they thought they'd be. And we said, yeah, but does it matter because they're in first place? We have guys who have spoken out a little bit. Mercedes wasn't seemingly stoked about being dragged. Um, Tim Anderson said something publicly in support of him. Lance Lynn did. And, you know, you see those guys coming across, legitimate legitimate guys on that team. Do you think that that a clubhouse issue could, uh, what, bubble up from this, TC? It's possible, of course. I mean, they seem to be getting by just fine, despite Tony LaRusso being who he is and how he is. And I'm, and I'm sure Lance Lynn is one of those guys who can help kind of smooth the waters there, right? He's a guy who's played for him before. He's won a championship with him before. So I, I also love the idea of, you know, Tony LaRusso comes in, says his stodgy comments, then then leaves. And then, you know, Tim Anderson puts on the music and turns the music down. Then they have the real yeah. team meeting. Like, I, I've never a Tim Anderson fan, but I love the idea of him leading this kind of secret clubhouse and like really helping. I mean, you can galvanize a team around dislike your boss. That's that's happened in many different places before, and it could happen here. It's the thing that's confusing about Lewis to me is that you know nothing he's done is really hurting right now. Like they're the best team in baseball, despite despite what people say and think about him. But I, I mean. Something could certainly bubble up from, I mean, 
just to, to take Mercedes in particular, who's, it was like such an amazing story. It feels so bizarre. Like if it were Tim Anderson, like, yeah, I, I, I get it more so. But that it's Mercedes is, is so strange. Like if it were Jose Abreu, would he have said something? Like a respected mm. veteran, a really respected veteran? I don't know. I don't know that LaRusso goes after him in the same way. I think he's kind of trying to make a point to like put this kid in his place as he's having this amazing season. And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure either. And that's like, I guess he's not losing the room. Like you're saying they are in first place, not just in the division, but in baseball and granted like that can change and who knows who gets hot when and who gets cold when, but what a weird opportunity to take or make yourself if you're Tony La Russa to really, you know, it, the idea that, oh, well, maybe he's trying to protect the rest of the team because he doesn't want them to get thrown at, like, I guess. But, like, again, to, to drag your your guy and to say Mercedes is effectively not your guy, to be like, that's not the baseball the Chicago White Sox play. It's like, well, I don't know, Tony. They kind of just played that baseball. And you don't want to own it because you don't have a taste for it. And I, that that is the, the most disconcerting part for me is that he was so public about it that – even when Lance Lynn was like, the, the the rules go out the window when you put a position player in there. Like, talk about respect. Like, you were waving the flag. Uh, and LaRusso's comment was, Lance has a locker. I have an office. I'll make the decisions. Like, dude, like, why are you going at your guys so much? I, I You know, even Tim Anderson apparently really likes LaRusso. But, like, dude, Plus, what I are th- you I thought doing? Carlos Rodon had the office. Didn't Carlos Rodon win his <laughs> office in, in that bet when he, when he threw a no-hitter? Let's ask Rodon what he thinks. Yeah, and, and let's, you know, while we're at it with Rodan, institute the, the team-wide uh, no buttons at the top of your jersey look to really look like like you're just out there to be killers and ballers, which is kind of what the White Sox <laughs> have done to this point, right? Yeah, I mean, so this, and this is another part of the LaRusso quote that I want to read. He says, the fact that he's a rookie and excited helps explain why he just was clueless but now he's got a clue. Like how condescending do you have to be? Like that's such a condescending way to talk about Mercedes to be like, Oh, he's young. He doesn't get it. He had no idea. Like, no, he had every idea. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Condescending is the perfect word for that. Now he has a clue. Like I taught him, I showed him. It's <laughs> then to use the word family as if to be like, you know, he says there will be a consequence he has to endure here within our families. If, as if just by calling it a family, he's not undermining the entire system, right? Like that's what you do. That's how you, that's how you manipulate people, right? You, you use Ooh. these, these terms to be like, no, 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 we're a family, but at the same time, I'm going to do this horrible thing to you, but at the same time, I'm going to call you family. So, you know, it's, you know, I'm in the right here, you know, it's all good. But no, you don't get just get to call them family and then publicly drag them. That's not what family does. You're no. not family if you're doing that. If you're family, you air your, your grievances privately. You talk to him personally. If he's clueless, if he really is just a clueless rookie, then you take him aside and you say, hey, buddy, you got to learn some of these rules here. I know you're, you're fresh up here, but here's some of the things that you got to understand about that situation. You don't publicly drag him for it. That's not what you do to family. I mean, come on. I think that's dead on. I think that's a great moment to really kind of parse some of the nuance to the situation because there is nuance to it for as much as we're talking in black and white terms mercedes kind of ignoring the sign if he did that it adds a lot to it uh but either way like you're saying yeah that's not really what family does 
And to say that, to pull that line is really kind of dangerous. It's, it's really insidious. And even on top of that, this might scale into modern athletes. And, and a lot of people dislike the way athletes have started to publicly embrace the fun that they're having. They dislike that they are dictating the terms on which they play and where they play and with whom. And I'm not sure that it's so much that they want to make it all about them so much as it is they're like, no, we're listening and we're paying attention. And I'm going to be honest when I don't think it's working here. Some of them may handle it differently. I mean, we, we make basketball comps pretty regularly. But you you could look at the James Harden situation where he was just like, I'm done. I'm done in Houston. I don't care. Trade me. Yeah. And he forced his way out. Is it admirable? And that's just trade me, but trade me to Brooklyn. Yeah. I want to go to Brooklyn. I want to play with my boys over there. I don't care that they don't have any useful assets. <laughs> no, I want that. that's that's part of the issue, right? That like, sure, you want to take issue with James Harden for doing that. But also like maybe part of the problem is just that players have had really no control over what and where they play for so long, pretty much forever, that to use a, a really insidious term like, oh, we're family, we don't play that way. But I will tell you, these strangers in the world publicly numerous times that he was wrong, like, what a crappy situation. And if you're Mercedes, like, what reason do you have to listen to Larusa at this point? Because he taught you a lesson? Like, get, get out of my face with that. I would be so done with him. And maybe I'm projecting a little bit of myself, but do you think Mercedes is like, okay, cool, I really respect Tony now? No, not at all. And I, I think he's probably really annoyed by it. And he doesn't have any leverage is the problem. Like, this dude, this guy has no leverage. He is a 28-year-old rookie who's still, like we're saying, three seasons, two and a half seasons away from his first raise. Can you imagine that? Like, 28 years old, you finally get promoted to the job you want. You've been an assistant all this time. You finally get the real job. You get to do the job. You get to sell sell the thing you're selling or you get to write the thing you're writing since you were 18 he broke into <laughs> professional ball at 18 yeah so 10 years he's been carrying bags and now he finally gets to do the thing and he still is three years away two and a half years from a potential raise like that is rough what is supposed to drive this guy to keep going i mean granted like the salary he gets as a major leaguer is considerably more than the salary he was getting as a minor leaguer right but but compared to whatever, what you know, everyone else is making. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like that, those are the salaries. Like he should, he should be able to have a raise before that. It doesn't make any sense. And so, in this situation, he has he has zero leverage. He's going to get renewed at league minimum, and it's really frustrating. Like you're saying, the salaries are the salaries, but this guy's not going to be able to be getting a chance to make his big major league payday, and he's not going to be able to be paid on a level consistent with his his star power if he maintains this and by all means your main mercedes looks pretty legitimate at this point right like he he is not a joke he is a legitimate uh, mlb hitter he usually you know ran lower babips in the minors but he ran some really high ones too so his 422 while outlandish and will not persist it's not like he's going to crater. Like he's a major league player and that, that looks pretty distinct at this moment. So for him to be in this situation is really unfortunate because he's not going to have any leverage pretty much ever. And it's just like, what do you do? Like, I, so you, you do the best thing possible. You produce the best thing you could for your team and you get dragged for it. It, it seems like an, an entirely unwinnable situation. And like you're saying, if they really wanted to teach him a lesson, you take him aside. If you really thought he was clueless, you do not put him in such a spotlight and basically slash him up 
for people to pick apart. And I, I, I don't know that La Russa can come out of this looking good in any which way. Not at all. I mean, I don't have any respect for La Russa. I don't know a lot of people that do. I mean, he's he's won championships in this league, and and he's got his team in first place. But, I mean, he was arrested for drunk driving. Like, dude, guy's a maniac. Like, I don't see any reason that he should have a job twice. in he was baseball. arrested twice for that. Twice for right, and, and it's like you know, once the day before the day he, he was announced that he got the job or whatever, right? Like, he's just kind of a mess, and, and there are other people who can have that job. And I just don't see why Tony Lewis should still be employed. Is he really the only guy? I mean, I know why he's employed, it's just this nostalgia and this, you know, old, you know, old buddies trying to roll it back. But I know, I don't think he knows, I don't think he has the right mindset. I think he's of the wrong era. I think he's, I mean, I wish he didn't have a job. That's how I feel about it. That's how I feel about it too. And that's why like, I saw something on Twitter. I think it was uh, 35th street socks or socks on 35th, something to handle uh, saying like, you know, it's not often you're in first place and you wake up wondering what else could go wrong today. And even if La Russa hasn't lost the room, even if he has a ton of skill that is still applicable to today's game, even if he is not, dreadfully out of touch he is not making baseball fun right now and you could you could really cite tony la russa for a couple of things like you're saying the drunk driving he didn't even disclose the the one that was most recent as he got hired he didn't disclose it to the white Sox. so it's not that we're trying to cast stones at la russa it's that where is his leverage for for following rules when he's discarded ones that could have actually hurt people and beyond that we could track a couple of things that people really dislike about baseball to him. Bullpen usage, modern bullpen usage could track to him. Uh, and this, this garbage about unwritten rules and following them. And, and obviously like, like you're saying, it took, it's not an interesting conversation and yet we can't help but dive into it because that's where the energy has been spent. And it's like, yeah, I wish we could dispel this kind of notion. I wish we could dispel this kind of person from MLB because I just don't know where there's a place for it. Yeah, I mean, th- there are the traditionalists who believe it. it's not even about his belief in the in the thing, right? In this particular case, it's not that he's. It's not that he didn't want. It's not that he's upset that Mercedes swung on three and out. It's not that he's upset that he hit a home run. It's the way he handled it and the way he's treating his players. With with talk about disrespect, like so much disrespect to treat Mercedes this way. And it is just such a shame because the White Sox should be one of the most fun teams in baseball, maybe the most fun team in baseball, but it's really hard to root for them right now because they've got this, you know, old school curmudgeon driving the ship, steering the ship. And you just, I don't want to root for him. I don't want to root for La Russa. I don't want good things to happen for him. And it's, it's just, it really is too bad because the White Sox should be really, really fun. And, you know, they're going to keep doing well under him because they have a, they have a really good roster. This team has been yeah. put together very well. They're going to, they're going to compete this year. And I, it's hard to know what LaRusse's real effect is. It's hard to know if he's a good manager or not at this stage of his career. But he's going to get credit for being a good manager as his team makes the playoffs, especially, you know, if they make a run in the, uh, if they make a run in the postseason, he'll continue to get credit and get vindication, which not only professional vindication, but personal vindication. And I think that's really too bad for someone who I don't think deserves it. Yeah, and that, that's a great point as you're talking there in terms of getting vindication and, and, and all of that when it comes to La Russa. The, the one other thing, I, I have one question for you, but one detail that popped into my head. Somebody pointed out to me that in the, in, in the bottom half of that inning, 
where this all transpired, LaRusta threw out Garrett Crochet. And so, like, you want to, like, respecting your opponents. Like, Tony, that's the same. Like, he's a fireballer, like, unicorn-type lefty who throws 100 miles an hour. And, you like, you're going to talk about, like, that's respecting your opponents at that point in the game? Like, come on, Tony. I just, there's no consistency, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's no consistency. There's no accountability on his part. Not a fan. So on a scale of 1 to 10, TC, as we wrap up this discussion on La Russa and his uh, lack of impact or potential impact, on a scale of 1 to 10, how dumb are unwritten rules? Uh, actually, that's a surprisingly tough question because I don't think they're that dumb, Actually, honestly, on the whole. I think we have unwritten rules in pretty much everything that we do. I think how dumb was Tony LaRusso's behavior in this circumstance? Nine. How dumb was Tyler Duffy's behavior in this circumstance? Seven, maybe. How dumb was your main Mercedes? Not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that you're you're willing to parse it that way. Uh, I would put LaRusse at like a 12 uh, <laughs> and the rest much lower. Uh, I, I think it's just break the scales down, but I'm sure he's going to give us another instance uh, later on in the year to, to talk about him. And I, I hope we have more interesting things to talk about that give credit to the players doing it as opposed to LaRusse, who seems to, like you're saying, maybe there in, in spite of all that success. Uh, so that's really a nice, a nice, uh, quote-unquote moment to wrap up there and and go into this week in baseball because injuries are going through the roof again and there's a big one right up top Mike Trout is out six to eight weeks with a calf strain Michael Pineda has a thigh abscess that he had work done on Jojo Romero going uh, for Tommy John Kevin PR got hit in the dang face Uh, Danny Duffy in his resurgence he's on the aisle with a forearm strain Luke Weaver has shoulder discomfort Giancarlo Stanton has a quad strain. Like, one, a rash of injuries, right, TC? And two, how much of a bummer are pretty much all of these, especially Trout? I mean, the Trout news is just awful. I mean, the, the Angels are going to have a tough time competing at all. And just he just makes me so sad. Like, why? what a bummer for the sport that just a player with his talent, that the, 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 basically that all the reactions to him across, the, like almost across the board, either like, boredom because people don't like his personality or don't like his you know rote just being amazing or just sadness because he's just on this terrible team that continues to be terrible and he's never gonna get a chance to play in the postseason and now he's out six to eight weeks so that's gonna that's gonna tank his mvp candidacy which is too bad because he deserves more and not that mvps really matter that much but and it's gonna it it probably tanks the angel season like to lose trout trout is the thing that keeps him close like as good as Otani has been and as good as Rendon is, you know, I appreciate your, your convo last week about Rendon being underrated and 100% is dude is a ice cold killer. And he's got one of the better personalities in baseball, but you know, it just really hurts that trout is out. It, you can't say too much about it. it. Just, it's just such a bummer across the board. Right. The Angels are 18 and 23 as we enter play today on the 18th of May. They are seven games back of the division lead. I don't know what a team does without Mike Trout for this long, especially a team like the Angels that relies so heavily on him year in and year out. But they're, they're going to play, what, Juan Lagares now? Is he their starting center fielder? Like, my God, what a drop off. I mean, maybe they can turn to Joe Adele and maybe Adele 
Blossoms or something, but Adele Marsh, they have prospects, but they're even at their no best. Then, exactly, exactly. You said there's no yeah, replacing them. You, you can't replace a Mike Trout, and uh, you know that there's a, a notion throughout baseball that you can finally start to take statistics seriously when Trout sits atop the the WAR leaderboard. Yeah, yeah, and he's there. He's there. He's the top player in baseball. Two and a half wins by Fangraphs uh, through again today today's games. And he won't be there in short order because the guys behind him are still really, really good, and it's really frustrating. Do any of these other injuries stick out to you as meaningful or mostly just disappointing? Mostly disappointing. The Jojo Romero one is really a bummer because he's such a good personality, and we need personalities in the game. I mean, baseball doesn't always lend itself to being a super uh, personable sport, and Romero is is a guy who has who has kind of shined for his you know, Red Bull antics. And, and I thought he was going to be an important and potentially big piece for the Phillies pen this year, but now he's out for this year and maybe next, it's going to be a long time until he can establish himself. Yeah, it really is. And the Phillies could use every bump that they can get because they themselves are another different kind of mess around baseball. You know, they just, uh, they could use any shot in the arm they could get. And instead they're going to lose an arm that could have been pitching meaningful innings down the road. Uh, the Stanton one is kind of a bummer, but also like you kind of have to expect it at this point, yeah. right? Like he just yeah. has repeated soft tissue injuries. And Danny Duffy bums me out because that was just a fun story, right? To come yeah. back throwing at, at 32, throwing harder than you ever had in in years, uh, and now we don't know. I mean, forearm strain usually portends something much worse and and tougher and longer to deal with. Yeah, and the Pilar one was tough to watch. That was I, I mean, didn't watch it. I couldn't. The moment itself was was tough. And it's just a bummer for the for the Mets because they've they're outfit losers. They've lost so many outfielders already. I mean, Conforto yeah. is out now. Nimmo's already out. Did you see they traded for Cameron Maben for one dollar. <laughs> I didn't see it was for one dollar. Look yeah, at that. Yeah, that's, that's been the reported news that the Cubs sent him for one dollar, which is kind of insane that the Cubs would do that. I mean, I know that they didn't need Maben and they wanted to give him a chance to play because he's a he's a kind of standout character guy. So they want to give him. So if he has a chance to play in the majors, they want to give it to him. But. Uh, Still, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and what a what a way for Maven to stick around. I was thinking of that as I saw that news that the, that the Mets had acquired him. That he's been around for like I think this is like his 14th season now, and he's just shown up on rosters to be this fourth outfielder type that we need to play for a few games, and then when when we don't need you, we'll just keep you around or we'll ship you elsewhere. But he's made it work, and like what a great way to make a career. It's, a, it's such a fun little footnote. I think the one thing that we need to get into is another edition of Boots and Suspenders that I almost outright overlooked, TC, and I apologize because, like I, I've told you before, I love the name and it's so much fun. Boots Manny Machado. and Suspenders. <laughs> we gotta get a we gotta get a song. Yeah, we do. We'll, we'll set it to the tune of uh, Werewolf Bar Mitzvah from Thirty Rock. <laughs> Boots and Suspenders. Spooky, scary. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. I love it. I think that's a great idea. Uh, Manny Machado was suspended one game for a controversial slide into Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals. So when you see this play, TC, what do you? How do you break it down? What do you think of it? Uh, and how do you process of it? I mean, it's it's another kind of just silly play. I mean, I think you know he's halfway down the down the baseline, kind of gets caught in the middle. 
Edmund goes to tag him. When he slides, the moment at the moment he slides, it seems relatively reasonable. And this is often what players do when they're in that spot. They they slide to get down. Usually the player is not standing above them in that moment. So, you know, I understand the criticism, but Machado clearly didn't mean anything by it. He got right up and like helped Edmund and clearly kind of apologized to him. It was just it was just a misunderstanding. There's no reason for MLB to step in here. They only do it because it's Manny Machado. Yeah. Yeah, as I watched it, it seems like Edmund gets on top of Machado quickly as he's making the play, right? Like nobody's doing anything malicious there. And then Machado, they're really far away from second base, but Machado's like, uh, this is where my body usually slides when the defender's close to break up the play. And so he does it. I, I don't think they're, like you're saying, no malice, right? Like he, he got no, up, he helped Edmund. If anything, it's just to get out of the throwing path. Like that's what you have to do. Like, you know, yeah. if you don't want to get punched in the face with someone who's throwing a baseball, like you get down. <laughs> Yeah, unless you, I guess, I think it's easy to criticize this moment where, oh, well, he should have run out of the base path. It's like, well, okay, but like he spent his lifetime being trained to do a certain thing. Like, I I think this is just a muscle memory thing, dirty or not. Like, I'm not very interested in that. And yeah, if this is, if this is Tommy Edmond playing, sliding into Manny Machado, I don't know if we're having the conversation. No, not at all. And the body language says everything. This was not a dirty play because Machado gets right up and is like helping Edmund up and clearly feels bad about the moment. Like it's not dirty. If you apologize immediately, if it's just kind of a misunderstanding, you can't put malice behind this moment for Machado. It clearly wasn't there. Like even if he shouldn't have slid there, that's fine. We can say that he thought so too. That's yeah. why he got right up to help Edmund. And like dude did the right thing. You can't, you can't take all the, you know, to kind of go back to the Mercedes thing, you can't just take all the, the you know, adrenaline and enthusiasm out of a game, out of a play. Like, you can't mitigate when someone isn't competitive and when they're not. Like, you, if he's competitive, he's competitive. So he's in the moment. He did what he thought was right in the moment, realized immediately that it wasn't the right thing, got up and tried to make amends, and Edmund luckily was fine and wasn't a big deal. We move along. There's no reason for, again, MLB stepping in where they have no place. They have no reason to step in here. Yeah, I think I think that's a frustrating thing too. That why why like what what are we ironing out of the game? What wrinkle are we ironing out by suspending Machado for a game? And like like we've said before, when we talked about the Castellano suspension, like it's just symbolic at that point. You're suspending him for point zero zero six percent of the season, like if you thought it was dangerous, why wouldn't you incur a more serious penalty if you didn't think it? warranted that why give this penalty that again is taking away from the play that like you know what Manny Machado as a competitor did stop in the middle of the play and realize or as the play ended and in the middle of the field tried to help Edmund like tried to do the right thing right away tried to say like "Ooh, my bad man like I, you're cool right you're good I'm, I'm sorry right exactly I don't know what more you want out of him it, I really do think that you know we see these suspensions come against certain players and not other players. And it's not a surprise. It's not an accident that Amir Garrett and Manny Machado are two of the players who we've seen suspended so far. No. Or that Mercedes is spoken to by a manager and at, and in the media by a manager, right? Like there's a common theme here that you, you might be able to connect some dots and realize that, um, players they're all Jewish. Certain... what's that? <laughs> I said, they're all Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, that's it. Um, but that the, the players of a certain background or color that, that they are maybe incurring some of these unwritten rules or these imposed corrections 
maybe more than players who aren't. Uh, Tato has been this way for years. That yep. he has this quality about him where people think he's a hot shot. People think he's lackadaisical. People think he dogs it too often. You know, it's just the way he is. Like you see, you see a lot of players do the kinds of things that he does. I don't think he's a dirty player at all. No, I agree. Uh, so, so with that, we've hit a, again on so many things that we wonder if baseball, you know, bit, capital B baseball, likes lowercase b baseball. We wonder if the league <laughs> quite understands what they're going for, or if the uh, some of the pe- people in positions like Larusa understand quite what they're going for, and and if if it's outdated or not. I don't know. I just I... Let, let's wrap up with this on on a scale of one to ten again, TC. Uh, how well does baseball understand itself in this moment in 2021? In terms of its its appeal and its and its role as a as an adjudicator in situations like this, they're you know a three maybe. They they don't seem to have a clue of what they're supposed to be doing. I think a three is a good place too. I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on that too, and I hope that again as we keep doing this, we get to talk about it. Going up, I hope we get to talk about really great moments and really great moments of awareness throughout baseball. So that said, TC, where can everybody find you online? The usual spots, MLB trade rumors. Uh, I was on there today, so yesterday by by current standard, by those folks who are listening, uh, writing some stuff up. I'll be again on Sunday night. Uh, when I'm sure there's going to be a lot of breaking things happening. Uh, and Pitcher List, I got an article coming out this Friday about Yadiel Hernandez, who is super fun, super short, kind of old. And we're just going to yuck it up about him. Give, give the man some ups. That, that already sounds like a fun piece I'm going to look forward to. Uh, and of course, on, on Twitter, we can find you at, uh, at TC Zenka. That's right. Uh, so you you can find me kicking around the the pitcher list Discord. Uh, you can find me every Monday with the depth chart pieces at uh, Baseball Prospectus. Uh, by the time you guys all hear this, I'll, I'll have a piece up there about how it's actually older hitters that are doing really well compared to the younger hitters. A, a big change of pace in recent history. Uh, so you can check that out. You can find me at Tim Jackson says. You can find the pod at Breaking Pod PL. And, of course, you could email us at breakingpodpl at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, we love that you're listening. We love that uh, you, you guys are coming and spending some time with us. We hope that you keep doing that, that you have uh, a great time listening to us because we have a great time talking with you. Um, we hope you guys have the best week ever. So we'll see you all out there. Everybody, if you could, rate us five stars. Leave a kind comment. We would love you for it forever. Uh, and like I said, uh, from both of us, we hope you have the best week ever. So long, everybody. Boots and suspenders. <laughs> Spooky scary. <laughs>